Welcome to the first episode of the podcast. On the first episode, we have Hakeem Vallis, a former NFL player who has spent time with the Arizona Cardinals, Detroit Lions, as well as the New York Giants. In addition to establishing a foundation in football, Hakeem Vallis has established a foundation in real estate investing as well as consulting services. In addition to both of these ventures, Hakeem has also embarked on a campaign which he does public and motivational speaking. In our interview, Hakeem sat down and gave us the tools for our listeners to get their foundation started in business, real estate, as well as a foundation and getting started in the league. He gives us a bunch of misconceptions and underlying things that people who are not in the league won't really get. He also teaches you how to go through your first deal as he tells us how he went through his first deal in Arizona. I left a lot of the bloopers from this episode in the front so you guys could hear the anxiety that I had in my voice when I was starting this. And you guys could see how much um, I kind of care about this Um, or just for a laugh. So without further ado, let's get building on our foundations. Peace. You got water? No, I got one. Yeah. It's, it can get anything can get cut. Alright, cool. Alright, let's go. Alright. Here we go. Ready? Gotta get my shit ready. Alright guys, welcome to the first episode of um uh, Damn, what the fuck? Alright guys. Alright guys, welcome to the first episode of the Foundation. My bad. Don't say alright guys. Alright guys. Just Hey guys, how you guys? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I ain't gonna fuck with you no more. Nah, 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 I need that. Alright. So no alright guys, what's up guys, how you doing? You can say what's up guys, or hi guys, just alright guys. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah, fuck it up. Alright, cool. What's up guys? Is the guys getting it? Is the guys it? Straight, or you nah, just feel like, right, right, okay. I say, I said, welcome to the so-and-so and so-and-so. My name uh, is so-and-so, and this is the so-and-so, so-and-so. Uh, that's all I do. There we go. Welcome to the Foundation Podcast. I'm your host, Jamir Bunch. I'm here with my guest, Hakeem Vallis. Hakeem, um... Damn. What, what you what you doing? I was going to say, welcome to the foundation podcast and then like the little sentence like yeah, where so we get gotcha. you to fun. Yeah, let's do that. Fun, I'm your host, Jamir Bunch. I'm here with my guest, Hakeem Vallis. Hakeem to someone, 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 Hakeem, welcome to the show. All right. Okay. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right. Nope. Guys, welcome to my... <laughs> Yeah, it's that playing, My bad, that was, that was, that was genuine, bro. Uh, I was joking. <laughs> this just sounds so funny when I try. <laughs> welcome. All right, guys, welcome to the foundation. 
this is a show where we give you guys a blueprint to make the to create ah. all right guys <laughs> bro, Welcome to the foundation, relax. guys. This is the <laughs> Hold up, bro. Just relax. <laughs> Just get it out. You straight. You need a drink, man. Shit. You straight. All right. You need a blunt for real. Alright, chill. Here we go. Alright. Welcome to the foundation. This is a show where we give our viewers the blueprint to create their own foundation in their life. So today. We got Hakeem Vallis on the show, my good friend. This is a guy who's a former NFL player. He played with the Cardinals, the Lions, and the Giants. Uh, graduated from Monmouth University with a business degree with a concentration in real estate. Uh, he's a current real estate investor with properties in Michigan, Iowa, and Arizona, if I'm correct. Uh, and also a current motive professional motivational speaker so he's going all around the world doing um gigs speaking to schools high schools uh colleges everything f under the sun so um what's up king what's going on bro thanks for having me on your show today no problem brother no problem um so i want to jump right into it uh tell us about you know the the real foundation of your childhood how how was your childhood growing up um Tell us a little bit about that. I think uh, the foundation, you know, starting with childhood, really for me, it personally started with my parents. Uh, unlike uh, like a lot of people um, in today's society, I grew up with both of my parents in the same household. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was amazing getting to experience that. Mm -hmm. But then I also grew up being allowed to do what I want. I was actually just having a conversation with my mom today and she was talking about the sports that we played, but we played the sports that we wanted to play versus what they wanted. Mm. My mom, if it was up to her, we would have been track stars. Mm. We never ran track. Mm. I ran track my senior year of high school and that was it. Oh, okay. And like, she was like, I never wanted to be one of those parents who forced their kid into doing something and they don't really want to do it. He said, we used to go to your sporting events and you see these parents yelling at their kids uh -huh. and you can just tell what the kid wasn't into it. And we always told ourselves that that wasn't going to be us. And like, I love my parents for stuff <laughs> like that. But like, that's the type of foundation I grew up with. And like, I grew up allowed to, allowed to be who I wanted to be. Like I knew I was an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So my parents let me be an entrepreneur. They let me cut grass. They let me sell Skittles mm -hmm. in middle school. Like my mom went to Sam's Club for me to buy my boxes of Skittles mm -hmm. so I could then flip. Nah. And then, oh, my bad. Nah, nah. And, I mean, <clears throat> even with basketball, I wanted to go to the NBA. They cut sports from my middle school. I'm 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And my dad would take me to LA Fitness at 4.30 every morning. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, that's the type of foundation I had. So, um, your, your entrepreneurship, your, your hunger for that, um, was that something that kind of naturally developed in you or, you know, did that trickle down from your dad, um, or, you know, how, how did that kind of come into your, your life? No, I think that's DNA. Uh -huh. Um, my dad's, <clears throat> you know, he's a retired state trooper, uh -huh. um, but he's still a natural entrepreneur, you know, he was... Yo, he used to be in Brooklyn selling 
flowers. Yeah, I saw it on, on, uh, on the vlog, right? Yeah, on the vlog, yeah. I saw that. That's crazy, yeah. That was, uh, that was, uh, that was a dope, dope uh, experience because I didn't even know. Like, I was with my older brother and he was like, oh, this is where dad used to sell flowers and uh, uh, balloons and stuff like that and uh -huh. really be flipping. And so, and it was cool, like, to hear that because, like, that's real DNA. Where like that's where you got it from. Because yeah. I don't know. I wasn't taught entrepreneurship. Yeah, like, exactly. Some people go to college and go get a degree in entrepreneurship, but I don't think it can be taught. All right, I feel that. So, um, you know, besides, you know, like the whole aspect of, you know, them, your parents giving you the freedom that you wanted, um, and stuff. How impactful do you think, um? having both for the parents in the household because that's something that's not prevalent um very prevalent in the african-american community we don't really have both parents in the homes i had a single mom um but like how do you think that affected your development as a person growing up um you know a child growing up seeing that you had a mother and a father that actually lived together stayed together and um you know kind of made sure that they were a solid support system for you guys? I think it was, it was amazing. It was imperative. I mean, just from just the love that they showed each other. Not only, you know, some people just stay together because they have kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't never, I don't necessarily think that that's good because that's just obviously a, one, a ticking time bomb. Mm -hmm. But two, it's fake love. You're not really showing love. You can't love yourself and love yourself as a couple. You can't love your kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, True. And it's it gave me the foundation to have honestly the the pool back the pool from the pool from each side. Meaning, my mom was a loving matriarch who ran the house mm -hmm. like with three kids, like ripping and running every single day. We all played a sport. I don't think I ever. There wasn't many days. There wasn't many days in my childhood from ages 5 through 14 where I didn't have a practice or a game for any sport, whether it was basketball, baseball, football, karate, ice hockey, you know what I'm saying? Playing it all. Soccer. <laughs> we played it all. Yeah. And but she was ripping and running, doing all that. And then I got the discipline side from my dad, mm -hmm. um, you know, grew up saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, in the household, which is something that you don't necessarily see from exactly. a lot of kids growing up so how did that uh that foundation that you kind of built as a kid um you know growing up through high school now coming out of the house moving on to uh college going to live at college and on the rest of your life how do you think that foundation just from growing up the way you did translated or um you know helped you out later on in life um i think it started with being at age 14 going to boarding school okay. you know being on your own you know from age 14 and on essentially and coming home for the holidays and summers and that was some high weekends, school right that's high school okay. 14 15 16 17 18 the most developmental years of your life uh -huh. and <clears throat> that was where I, I think i became myself like besides the fact yes i'm an entrepreneur but more the fact that I can be out on my own. Like a lot of people are scared. Mm -hmm. to, like people want to travel the world, but they're scared to travel the world. Okay. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like if you wanted to, 
if you really wanted to, at any moment, you could get up and go, mm -hmm. and get a job somewhere else. In like, in reality, get a bus ticket. If you if you really want to, do you know yeah. what I'm saying? But me, being at a young age, being out of the house, it, like, it's starting to make sense of who I am and what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. I'm always ripping and running. I'm on the road maybe once or twice a week, um, just traveling, ripping and running, but I'm comfortable, like, mm -hmm. in that chaos. Like, I mean, graduate college in 15, go to Arizona in 16, go to Detroit in 17, get cut from Detroit, go back to New Jersey in 18, and then move to St. Louis, and like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm only 26. Yeah, that's a lot, man. But I'm still on the East Coast, like, a solid amount of time, but I'm still, but I'm comfortable with that, because uh -huh. it's like, I'm comfortable traveling, I'm comfortable on the road, I'm comfortable, like, I wouldn't say, like, being away from home, but, like, home is just where your family is. All right, so let's just talk about uh, a little bit about your time at Monmouth. Um, I actually, this is when I first met you at Monmouth. Uh, I think that was the first time we met was when we had to like go and uh, get fitted for our equipment. <laughs> at and the we, back, yeah. he was on the camera. He was on the camera acting the, the fool. The funniest yeah. thing I have ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. Yo. yo. Yeah, we man. had a, we had the camera to uh, the uh, the jumbotron, the jumbotron at the basketball court. <laughs> a bunch was uh, dancing and uh, as was, a, was acting a fool. Usual, as usual. But um, I just remember what I remember from that day is like you were actually the first player that I met, like. And what struck struck me is like everybody else was, you know, like kind of sizing each other up. Like, who is this dude? What school is he from? What school is he from? And you kind of just walked up, you know, you had your petty, petty little hat on, your little baby dreads. It was like, yo, what's up, man? I'm Keem, da 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 da. And like ever since then, I kind of, you know, got a sense of like who you was, like that you were like an open person because I wasn't going up to you and she, I wasn't going to go up to you. That's just the type of person <laughs> I was at that point. I'm just like a size them up type of guy. So, um, you know, that that was cool. But talk about like a lot of people they hear Division One football player, they think a certain thing, they think in Alabama, Clemson, whatever. Talk about that experience of being a Division One football player at a small school like Mama. That was uh, <clears throat> first of all, that's dope. That story was awesome. I, I uh, <laughs> that's awesome when you just think about somebody's other perspective when you meet them for the first time. But I, I remember that day vividly. That was awesome. But Mammoth as a Division One, you know school you know obviously the small school thing it's a little bit different than it, back then i mean right now it's the, the program's completely changed i agree but when we were there as you know young freshmen it was you know you thought of a division one was oh you get all this gear you get <laughs> this you get that you get xyz and you know it's obviously it's not that it's i wouldn't say it's the complete opposite but we didn't get much yeah and it was it was different because it wasn't like, you know, you look on TV and you think in stereotypical terms, like the football team runs the campus, but it even wasn't even that way. It was Not like, even. 
most people didn't really like the football <laughs> team, at least we when we were, we when we were younger. And it was uh, it was a little different, and it was it was, a, it was a little shocking, but we was just some young kings back yeah. then. We really didn't care and was just having fun, to be yeah. honest. Like, it was, we knew we weren't playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so just go back to that, say it on, like, how we knew we wasn't playing. So, you know, in my first couple years, I knew I wasn't playing, and for me, that kind of meant, you know, just go out, party, drink, whatever the case may be. Um, now, that pretty much was my freshman year, sophomore year, you know. So that was like my first kind of two to three years before I really started, you know, to kind of take it serious. But I know you kind of took, you know, it a little bit more serious earlier on. Um, but you still weren't, you know, getting to where you wanted to be on the field. So talk about, you know, the your first three years, because we kind of know, you know, what happened at the tail end. But talk about those tough years and how, you know, you you were a receiver when you first got there. And, you know, you really didn't see too much playing time um, those first three years. So talk about, you know, just that struggle and how were you able to keep it, um, you know, keep cool and not say you know all right i'm not playing I'm, I'm, i might not want to do this how are you able to like you know kind of find a way to get yourself on the field it was i mean one it was just trusting the process i mean most guys in our situation either transfer mm -hmm. quit got kicked off the team mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and it was trusting the process like it was it sucked you know what I'm saying? Like my freshman year, sophomore year, like you went from being, I wouldn't say the man in high school, but mm -hmm. good enough to get a, a scholarship yeah. in high school to now, I mean, with me, I didn't even get to play my senior year. So I hadn't played football since my junior year of college, like in a competitive game. Junior year of high school. I went from junior year of high school all the way to senior year of college. Oh, yeah, because you got from, hurt, right? Yeah, I got hurt. My, I got hurt two days before my first game. I tore my labrum. And... It was, it was hard. It was, it's humbling to say the least. Mm -hmm. And it honestly motivated me and challenged me. Like when you had a guy like Neil Sterling in front of you, mm -hmm. who you know he's the best. And like being self-aware, he's better than you, mm -hmm. regardless. Like it's just genetics in that sense. And it was just like, I still was like, I'm gonna try and outwork him. And I tried to and tried to and tried to and still couldn't get on the field. When I ultimately made that shift to tight end, it was like probably the biggest win-win mm -hmm. um, in the sense that I was on the field with them at the same time, but we both got to display our talents and both got to play in the NFL. But it was, it took a lot of trust in the process, a lot of, I mean, I thought about transferring. I wanted to transfer to the Navy, Naval Academy my freshman year. Mm. Um, I didn't do it. Um, and it's, it's wild that we made it this far because I don't. I wasn't thinking about by junior year of college. I was thinking about okay, Hakeem the rest of his life as a real estate investor. What's going to be next? And then it was okay. I can play tight end. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So um, well, what I was gonna say is, if you have um, if you were to go and talk to somebody who's in the same position that you were in it might be on their second or third year 
out of college right now, might be an athlete, um, not really seeing a playing time that he think he should get. What kind of what kind of advice do you have for a kid like that? Um, I think it's two things. It's one, it's, it's those times that no one's watching. Uh-huh. Like it's cliche, but people don't people really don't put in that work most of the time unless they know someone's watching, uh-huh. or it's for a benefit of someone other than themselves, not or uh, to impress someone other than themselves. Okay. And I think it, it really comes down to that, especially when it's year two, year three, and you're still not playing, mm-hmm. but you're still getting extra catches in. You're still getting working in the summer. Mm-hmm. You're still taking summer classes every summer because you want to work out in front of the coaches so they can so you can get better. It's. I think it's it's just going to take. It comes down to at the end of the day. I mean, sports is the greatest challenge of life. So the second thing is it's becoming self-aware. Like, you might not be good enough. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's a big part. So it's like... it's not a right. You yeah, know what I mean? Because it's like, when do you make that? Just like you said about how when you were a receiver and it was like, you know, you going against Neil and you're kind of like, nah, I'm going to beat him, I'm going to beat him out. Like, at what point do you sit there and say... Okay, maybe I can't beat them out, but I might just have to change my approach. Change your approach, go to tight end, now you're on the field, you know? With, so, oh yeah, bump back. No, you got, with me, it was, I always knew I was great. Mm-hmm. I knew I was great. Mm-hmm. I knew it should have been me on one side, me on the other side. Like, uh-huh. I knew that's how it should have been. And all I knew is that I knew I would get one year at Monmouth without Neil. Uh-huh. And if I got that year, then I would be, I'd be able to show that I'm good enough to play in the NFL. And I realized going into senior year that this is the year that I'm finally maybe going to get onto the field. Mm. And it was nine days in the camp, and it was looking slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just like, yo, I'm not, if I don't, like, I'm, it's looking slow. Yeah. Like, at that point, I think Reg might have been above me. I mean, Reg, was, Reg was a freshman. Yeah. He, he was nice. I remember yeah, when Reg came rap. in that summer. Yeah. I was like, yo. Reg was raw. As a not only do I got to be better than Neil, <laughs> I got to be better than this dude. <laughs> yeah, not to mention, you had all the inside receivers, pretty much. You know, you had Thad, Lamar, Easton. We had, a, we had some of the most stacked com- competition at receiver. Yeah. And shout out to Reg right now. Too, yeah, right shout now. out Reg White on the, on the Giants, man. Um, but once it was like, you no, know, nine days in, it was looking slow, and it was just like, you know what? If, like, if I don't play, then I'm not getting a fifth year, and this is it. Mm. So I was like, swing for the fences, and then I had a conversation actually with that Thaddeus Richards, uh-huh. and he was uh, he was really the one who really gave me that confidence, even have the conversation with the coaches like and it was it was wild made that change all right so let's you know fast forward you go through that um you're starting to work out you have a great uh senior year at monmouth you're starting to work out train for the combine um pro day and stuff like that when did you actually realize you know in your head where it's like you know i'm not just training from a pro day like, I'm really training to go to the league. Like, I really think I can do this. 
I think sometimes some guys train and you know they kind of know that they're not really going to make it but they still go through the process. When did you go through that process and you're like, nah, this can happen? I... It's crazy because even like when you're training at facilities, sometimes there is, there can be favoritism. There can be someone's getting more love than you. There can be, oh, this guy got this gear sent to him or this gear sent to him in that sense. Um, and I think with me, it was just always my quiet confidence. And like after playing my, my, my final year and sizing up the guy, just being practical and sizing up the other tight ends that were in the draft, and how fast they were, most of them weren't as fast as me. Mm. And I was like, because I knew going in confidently that I was not I was not going to be the strongest tight end. I was going to be probably one of the weakest tight ends going into the draft because on day one, I could only do seven, seven reps to 25. Damn. January 1st. Okay. And by the combine, by, by the pro day, I got 15. Mm. And it was... I knew as soon as I had that meeting with uh, Kevin Dunn and Gare at Test, the, the place I trained at, they like reverse engineered a game plan on how, after taking my numbers, how we're going to get that to this. And mm -hmm. then with that, that's going to place you here, mm -hmm. which means you're going to have the opportunity to get on it. You're gonna, I knew, I was confident that I was going to have an opportunity. Mm. No matter what, I was going to get a rookie minicamp, regardless. Okay. And from there, it was up to me to either capture it or fumble it. So then you went on to play for the Cardinals. That was your first team, your rookie year. Um, you on the Cardinals was uh, a cheat code for me and Madden, too, by the way. Uh, That's hilarious. Oh, man, I used to put you in over, I think it was Fells was the tight end. <laughs> or Gresham. <laughs> um, but I think your speed was like an 89. Catching traffic was a little weak, though. Um, but the speed was, was solid. So just talk about um, how, right, you go to the league. Um, so you're in the league, right? We all dream about getting to the league. Oh my gosh, what is it going to be like? What is it going to be like? What is the biggest misconception you think that maybe you had before you got into the league or you think that people still have about the league that uh, once you got there, you were like, whoa, this is kind of different? Or was it really pretty much everything you kind of dreamed of and thought it would be? Uh, I think there's, a, there's levels to it mm -hmm. in that sense. Like, like getting, I mean, it's like, it's super cool. Like, mm -hmm. there's nothing crazier. There's nothing, there's nothing wilder than going out on a Sunday and hearing that roar. Mm -hmm. Coming out the tunnel and actually playing, being there for opening kickoff on the field, yeah. hearing your name called, yeah. like in front of, like, there is nothing, there's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And it brings you back to when you're, Okay, like, and you have like, I'm sure other players have those thoughts because who knows where your mind wanders during a game because your mind can go places sometimes because mm -hmm. you're already just in your head you know what I'm saying exactly. and that's when it, it's just purely football like nothing's better than backyard football like we're in South Jersey my hometown right now and like yeah. down the street we used to go to my, my buddy Rob's house and every day be 20 people and we always playing football every day but like yeah. 
that's what football is to me. Uh-huh. But once you got to the league, there's a lot of other things that kind of come with that. Yeah. And, you know, you have perceptions of money. You have perceptions of people and what mm. it can do to people. And you think that sometimes like when you watch some people from a you know, third party, mm-hmm. you think money can solve problems yeah. in that sense. And a lot of people think that their happiness is when they get that next promotion when they get that next raise when they get that next level when they start to get to 10 grand a month mm-hmm. when they get to a hundred thousand a year then they'll be happy and i don't think i think that's a big misconception of oh you'll, you'll see guys comment on like twitter or instagram or something will happen or something something that's an everyday problem for everybody, but somebody who's not a professional athlete will laugh it off as, "Oh, yeah, whatever. He's, he's, uh, he's making millions of dollars. Like, who cares? Like, mm. he'll, he'll be fine. Like, you see it. You mm. see it every. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. see it every single day. Like, yeah. oh, he's, he's a millionaire. He's, he's a millionaire. Good. Or blah blah blah. Like, people have issues. Like, oh, this guy's an idiot. Like, he just got a DUI. Like, oh my yeah. gosh. Like, what? Like, people go through things. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And, and I don't think. I think it humanized celebrities more for me mm. because you know I, I'm not I'm not I don't consider myself a celebrity I'm nowhere near an A-lister mm. and but being around all those people and like I mean I remember my rookie year being backstage having a 30 minute conversation with Future mm. and like one of the most in That's my dope. opinion humblest dudes I've ever met Future. and like being real with you like I used to not like Future I used yeah. to thought he was lame i thought he was like uh almost a mumble rapper mm-hmm. and my the guy i was living with rob kimbichi at the time he uh he just got backstage pal he was like hey you want to go meet future and i was like all right cool wow and like being around people of a different of a perceived status mm-hmm. when in reality i think it's just if you can just drop your ego and just be human to human you realize that money really doesn't matter Mm. and it's just people at the end of the day and like like people put the nfl on a pedestal yeah and the nfl like good job to you like you're a marketing genius do you know what i'm saying but like in reality they they run the world in that sense i mean they sundays used to be church for church i agree and now it's football the pastor lets you out early so you can catch the one o'clock game yeah that's that's deep um so you know just going off of that being in the league and just like you said um that money can do things to people that theme popularity all of that how are you able to exist in a world like that and um stay grounded stay true to your foundation what you wanted to do when you know it's pretty easy to be like oh we don't got a game tomorrow let me go out with my my boys go blow 10 racks at the you know at the strip club and you know call it a day like how are you able you know to really dig down and say you know this is you know uh a great life right now but i kind of got to look for the future and not be too much in the moment um for me it was more of like like honestly just staying grounded and staying true to myself and like who i am Uh in the sense of 
people go to the NFL so they think that they're untouchable and they only can hang out with NFL guys all day. Yeah. And they think that they can only go to the club, they have to get bottle service. Mm. And because they're untouchable. They yeah. think that they got to be in first class when they're on the plane. They think, like, and it's, like, I don't, I don't not, like, calling people out, but it's, it's real. Mm-hmm. And it does, you know, maybe set more of a perception for fans and people that, oh, he's on that level, like, blah, blah, blah. And I think with me, is was always staying grounded in the sense of, like, being normal doing normal things okay like trying to i'm trying to think of like a specific example but like you can just think of it in the sense of i mean we used to so i i play the saxophone Mm -hmm. so we used to just have people over that played different instruments and things like that and it was just like awesome like you'd have a guy who worked at the harley davidson store a person who's worked at the breakfast place that we used to go to um, there's a homeless guy. He's yeah. played the harmonica. I'm talking. I've never seen somebody as dirty as that. Yeah. Play the harmonica, and we would just jam like mm-hmm. for hours, Damn. like hours on hours on hours, just jam. So not typical NFL exactly activities. Type exactly. Deal. Not <laughs> the stuff you're gonna see on TMZ or you're gonna see on yeah, book parties or and People none of that magazine. Thing. Like oh, spotted here. Yeah. But it's more of just doing. In my personal opinion, just regular everyday activities, what a lot of people tend to avoid because they have more popularity, which I can also understand. It mm. comes down to perspective. Like, yeah. you don't always want to everywhere you go. Every time you go to Smash Burger, you got to give 10 oh, autographs, gosh, yeah. which can be mentally draining for yeah. someone. Like, uh-huh. some people are extroverted naturally, and some people are introverted. And then that's where it kind of goes back into fans looking at the players like, oh my gosh, this guy's such a jerk. Like, he doesn't have time for a kid, yeah. and he makes all this money, and he can't just, you know what I mean? It's like, no, he's a human. Yeah, and he just imagine, did 20 autographs you know before what I'm saying? that. Like, imagine if every time you went out to breakfast or went out to lunch, you had to give an autograph, or you had to take a picture. Yeah. Imagine every time you were on the way to go to the bathroom, because you had to take a dump. <laughs> and somebody wants to take a picture, but you say, no, I can't, I gotta go. Uh-huh. And now you get 10 people tweeting about you, you're a bad guy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, people are crazy. And it's, you know, I always think that's kind of funny with the NFL players, too. Like you were saying before, it's like we kind of hold NFL players or any professional athletes, really, in a way higher light than almost even, like, police officers. We're like, wow, they're, they're yelling at a kid. They should be... They should be released from the team. Like, Colin Kaepernick still can't play because he took a knee. You feel me? And people are like, oh, he shouldn't be taking a knee. He should be at work. And it's like, you don't, people don't go to shop, right? And it's like, oh, you should be doing this because you work here. Like, I think they kind of forget that you got, like, it is a job for you. So you don't have, you know, I feel like you guys should have a private life where you could just go to a smash burger and get a burger and don't got to talk to 20, 30 people. You feel me? But I get it. You know, I get it. You know, you're in the NFL, you're public. So um, that's that. But going back to uh, actually the entrepreneurship um, and real estate, where where did you... um, find that you had a, a passion like an actual passion for real estate 
when I decided to make the major business of concentration real estate, because I already knew as an entrepreneur, I knew real estate would be something that would appease to me because I knew it was a relationships business. Mm-hmm. And when I was uh, into my freshman year, the girl I was dating at the time, her dad had just started his own house flipping business. Mm-hmm. And he took me under his wing to go and flip the houses. Like, I mean, we flipped like 10 houses in North Jersey over a span of like two, three years. And it was an amazing experience being side by side with him, knocking down walls, putting down floors, you know, putting in offers on pre-foreclosures, walking different properties, going to the courthouse for auctions and things like that. And with, you know, all of that going on at the same time, I'm in class because my major is business with concentration real estate, uh-huh. learning how to be an employee at a big commercial real estate firm. Uh-huh. And it was like the book Rich Dad Poor Dad was like pulling from both sides, learning the X and O's, but then actually in the field doing it. And it was really, really cool learning from that perspective because it was like I was pretty much taking everything with a grain of salt in class. Uh-huh. and. It really set me up for kind of who I am now. But when I was doing all that, I knew I was I, like I was I was in love with what I was doing. I was like I could do this for the rest of my life, no wow. doubt. So you were getting that, um, you know, the class and then like real life application at the same time exactly. with the real estate. Exactly. So you kind of already had a foundation on real estate when you got to the league before you actually completed your first deal. In Arizona, right? Yep. You actually had like a background and yep. stuff. So, you know, just walk us through. Tell us how, you know, you kind of walked into that deal. Um, I know you talk about it a lot, but just kind of just kind of spell it out for like how you did it to if somebody was listening where they could kind of follow in those footsteps to do a similar deal. The property in Arizona? Yes. So it was uh, January of 2017, and I put a post on biggerpockets.com, um, introducing myself, who I was, saying my name is Hakeem Vallis, I'm a tight end for the Arizona Cardinals, looking to get into my first, like I think I said multifamily property or house hack, my first property, and looking to connect with other like-minded investors in the Tempe area, that's where I was living at the time, it was my first off-season. And like 20 to 30 people responded to that forum post on Bigger Pockets. Um, and I took them all out to coffee and got to really ingrain myself in the real estate world, learn about those their properties, get to walk their properties with them. Um, and it was, it was an unreal, unreal learning experience. And during that process, I met a great realtor. Um, his name was Ryan Swan was also an investor which when you're looking for a fourplex I would do a, an investor realtor because he's looking at it through the eyes of an investor uh-huh. not through the eyes of someone getting a transactional fee okay. and he um, so we found a fourplex uh-huh. no, before we did that he set me up with his lender uh-huh. so you want to get set up through a lender to get pre-approved for an FHA loan um, so I got pre-approved um, I had they'll set you up they'll tell you the maxes that you can buy in each real estate asset class so you can buy a single family house up to 150,000 a duplex up to say 210,000 so your realtor to tell you that no your lender oh your lender okay. and set those limits for you and then you bring those numbers to your realtor okay then your realtor sets you up with an MLS portal that you can just look at 
on any properties that fit those parameters. Mm. And then you can just focus on, I want to just focus on fourplex. I only got sent fourplex that were under, say, 400, whatever the, the number was. Mm-hmm. And every property that came in, Bigger Pockets has a calculator on it. I would analyze it, run the numbers on it, see if it made sense with me living there and if I could afford management while living there as well. Uh-huh. Um, then we put an offer on it. So we put an offer on one property and it wound up falling through because there was a third property attached to it. Uh-huh. that had to be sold because the whole property was under one umbrella loan uh-huh. so under contract that one canceled and then this fourplex came on the market in north phoenix um with $268,000 i put down $13,000 on it my mortgage is 1700 a month on it uh-huh. and it it brings in it really depends on well, it actually we just rented out instead of uh airbnb in it but it brings in about 3200 bucks a month Wow, and that's um, cash flow every month. No, that's thirty two hundred minus seventeen hundred. Oh, okay. Um, and then plus um, HOA fees. It's like HOA homeowners association. Homeowners so it's association. a fourplex. So you can buy a con. So you buy a condo, uh-huh. and it's in a big condo building. You're gonna pay condo fees, okay. and that's for paying for the grass to be cut. It's paying for the lights in the hallways. It's paying for things like that. Um, but if you have, uh, say this, this, no, this doesn't have it. It's because these aren't owners. Say, say this was, these were condos. Say this was a condo, not an apartment. Uh-huh. You'd also have to pay an HOA fee because they would pay, they would cut your grass for Home you. Homeowners association. Yes. Would do all that. Yes. And that's what the fourplex is in a community of a bunch of fourplexes. Mm. And that's exactly, long story short, the HOA fee is like 235 bucks. Insurance is a hundred bucks. Electricity. For me, is like 50 bucks, and then I pay water in the building, which might be like 233, wow. and then it, it cash flows. I, I can't do the number off the top of my head right now because we just went from Airbnb to renting it out like last week, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so it does it does does really well, um, and you know, put only three and a half percent down, and probably one of the best investments I'll ever make. It's probably worth. <laughs> If it gets appraised right now, about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow! And I only owe two forty on it. Two hundred forty dollars. Two hundred forty thousand. I owe two hundred forty thousand. It's worth three hundred fifty thousand. Damn! And you put down how much? Thirteen thousand. Thirteen thousand. Wow! All right. Talk about uh, why? Cause you're a speaker now. You go around speaking to schools, and um, why do you feel like kids in high schools, kids in um you know, elementary schools, kids in colleges need to know uh, about some of the stuff you're speaking about. I think it's just critical because of, uh, honestly, what I'm mainly talking about is just self-awareness mm-hmm. and talking about how to maximize their use on the main social platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think kids, you know, we've become mass consumers of a lot of content all day. Mm-hmm. And if we could shift our mindset going from consumers into a producer mm-hmm. mindset and start producing content on all the major five to seven platforms instead of consuming, then they could really set themselves up for something special as we transition into a world where college degree isn't necessarily worth the debt that it's worth anymore Mm. so you can transition yourself as you walk out of high school you've now built this brand Mm -hmm. to now really dive deep into whatever you're passionate about Mm. and grow that using your brand 
So ultimately, you're trying to encourage people to uh, produce more content? Yeah, because I think, I'm really trying to encourage people to start posting their truths more mm -hmm. and really just start posting content around what they're passionate about instead of pandering their content to getting as many likes as they can. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Instead of posting that same very filtered selfie Mm -hmm. Just trying to see how many likes you get and then delete it because it didn't get enough likes and then post it again at 8, 9 o'clock because <laughs> that's when people are going to be in bed scrolling to get that's more That's real. Like, that is gonna call, it's just causing a major level of just, it comes from insecurity. Uh -huh. Like, I personally think I was, when I was in the NFL, I was insecure and I didn't post enough. Mm. I did not, I'm, that's one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't post enough about what I was doing uh -huh. in terms of real estate. Like, I bought that property and didn't tell talk about it for two years mm. do you know what I'm saying and I could have utilized my brand while I was still in the NFL and kind of but no regrets obviously yeah. but that's interesting um because you said that you were insecure while you were in the league yeah talk about that because like, you know when you think of an NFL player insecurity is like the last thing that yeah. comes to mind so I mean and you know that can either touch on a little bit of the mental health of an athlete and um, how that's an area that is kind of uh, taken for granted or not taken as seriously. Yeah. Um, but talk about that. Like, what what made you feel insecure being in such a great position? I think it was, I don't know, it was insecurity in the sense of wasn't posting because I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't want you know, people to think, oh, he's not focused on football, or oh, oh what you doing? Like that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's black or whatever. And like, I don't know. And I, it was more of I let the voices talk. And you wanted to stay as that image of the football player, like yeah, you couldn't be that if you posted yes. all that. But I also wanted to grind and build what I was doing in real estate before I talked about it too. Okay. So it's kind of a mix of both. I'm it was sorry. insecurity. I should have been documenting my journey. Mm -hmm. Instead, I wanted to wait until I actually became a little bit more successful in what I was doing. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think when you go to touch on mental health, I think that's something that's, you know, critical for NFL players because it, you know, really boils down to just how the whole system works. You know, I think there's a, the same way there's a wealth distribution uh -huh. in the United States, it's the, it's the same thing in terms of just levels in the league. Like there's a 3% and a 97%, like there's a 3%. The Tom Brady's, mm -hmm. the Drew Breeses, the mm -hmm. Vaughn Millers, the nine-figure dudes, the eight-figure mm -hmm. dudes. But then there's the three percent, the veteran minimum dudes, the practice squad dudes. Who, that's out of the ninety-seven. That's the ninety-seven. Uh -huh. And I wouldn't say ninety-seven. It's probably more sixty-forty. Okay. Um, maybe seventy-thirty. But I'm just using comparisons. I got um, you. But in the sense that that life is nothing to play, not nothing to play with, it's real when it mm -hmm. comes to mental health. Like, you're taking your average athlete who was a star, the man, on their, 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 their previous college campus, they ran the campus, they could do anything they wanted, everybody loved them, they were in every press article, they were in every, every, everything. Yeah. Everything is about that. And then it's, 
a, a, a calm serving of humble pie. <laughs> and it's, you go from being that and then you're, okay, the 51st, 52nd, and 53rd person on the roster where you just become so expendable at any moment. Like, I got cut from the Lions because somebody got hurt on defense and they needed to bring somebody else in because they weren't going to cut Glover Quinn or, I don't know if it's or Quandre Diggs. Wow. See what I'm saying? Yeah, so it wasn't even really... You're, exp- you're expendable in yeah. the sense of you when you live that type of life, that type of anxiety. Yeah, I was about to say, that has to weigh on you. It has to weigh on you when you have to, okay, you're cut. Now you got to uproot your family and go from Detroit to New York. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're there for a couple weeks and then... But you're on the practice squad, so you're not making how much you used to make. You go from making four hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to seventy thousand a year. Damn. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Imagine that type of pay cut Damn. in any other job. What that would do to someone mentally. What that would do to someone financially. How that could hurt someone if they haven't set themselves up right. But now think of it this way: these aren't guys who have had a job growing up mm-hmm. because they've always been athletes. Mm-hmm. These aren't guys that if you're looking at it statistically speaking, aren't coming from higher income backgrounds, usually coming from a more lower income background. Mm-hmm. So they haven't had the opportunity to really deal with and manage money, manage wealth. And because of NCAA rules and regulations, they've never had a job. Mm-hmm. Now they're 22, 23 years old, and then it's you go from the highs and lows, but it goes from the two extremes. Like, imagine making, what's that? 450 yeah. to 70, it's, that's yeah. like making $50,000 a year and going to 10. That quick, too. But you have a family. Yeah. But you have kids. Yeah. But you, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's the real stuff. That's not even the, oh, I got to, like, what's everybody going to say now that I got cut? Or, oh, I got Yeah, and besides that, that I'm not even like, talking about yeah. that. And that's, besides that, uh-huh. like, think about that. That's why you'll see some guys on, you'll see some NFL guys that are on the cusp. You probably won't see them post on social media for a good six months. Mm-hmm. Because they're, I'm serious. I, I probably, I don't know about the longest I've went because they're in between practice squad, active, practice squad, active, yeah. cut, cut, cut for a week, back to practice squad. Then they're active for a day. Then they're cut. That's crazy. You know what that does to someone? Yeah. Like imagine working at a job and getting promoted, demoted, fired, hired, promoted, demoted, yeah. promoted, demoted, demoted again, fired. And then you get hurt and then you're just cut. Yeah. It is just like, what? Next one. Um, and I think that's a big, you know, a big thing we don't see. Like, um, as fans and, you know, just regular people, we see, oh, you got traded to the Giants. Like, oh, you're in New York now. Oh, you're a different team. Now you're like, oh, you don't want to be there. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, now you got to, oh, you got to move. You got to go all the way back. I feel you on that. And I, I think that is a, a part that should be, you know, people should have more sensitivity for that but what you was just talking about you know these guys that aren't set up um that haven't thought about money or or anything like that in college playing these sports um and i seen in uh one of your king keys episode you and Choi, you and matt Choi, shout out to matt Choi, uh was talking about implementing like educational real estate courses or you know classes uh for college athletes um you just talk about that idea and that concept and like if, how you think that can um that, that was when we were in that. baltimore that was when you guys were in baltimore um 
You know, I think, and I don't know how that can even, we're still trying to figure out how that can even happen because so many just crazy NCA rules and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to show some of these guys what's possible as well as a former professional athlete. I mean, yesterday mm-hmm. I was at Dartmouth College and I talked to five football guys and one basketball guy. And we sat for two hours and talked about real estate, entrepreneurship, and how they can use their brand and how they can build their brand more as a Dartmouth athlete to set themselves up when they're done. Mm. And that's not something that's paying me. That's not that's something I was in Massachusetts anyway. Yeah. And Dartmouth was two and a half hours away, so I made the drive out there. Wow. And that's just something I'm passionate about on making that impact, on just changing as many athletes' lives as I can before it's too late before they fully define themselves by their sport and they get drowned in it don't make it to the league and now they're completely empty and now they waste a year two years just dwelling on the past and the fact that they're not playing football anymore yeah that's I think that's a big one um because that's a big one I see a lot of former athletes going through after the game is up um, you know, they're kind of lost. And, you know, I was in that position for a while, and it kind of took me a while to actually, you know, see what what I wanted to do with myself. But um, you have a couple of quotes that you kind of say a lot in your speeches and in your content. And I kind of w- want you to just talk about these couple of quotes and why they're so important to you. Uh, the first one um, is actually take advantage of the lifetime of the opportunity and the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, take, take advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime and the lifetime of the opportunity. I heard that by Eric Thomas a while back. Shout out to Shout E.T. Shout out to E.T. And it really Greatest. resonated with me because it's like a, you think of like a milk. You got to drink that milk and eat the cereal with it before it spoils. Mm-hmm. That's the opportunity of a lifetime, but there's only a lifetime on that opportunity. So you better, you better drink it. Like Milk isn't cheap. You know what yeah, I'm saying? And like, that's how I think of it. But think of that with everything else you're doing in life. And um, just the fortune is in the follow-up. That's the second one. I think that's... We're presented oppor- millions and hundreds and thousands of opportunities every single day and no one follows up. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll end a podcast saying how to reach out to you, blah, 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 blah. And no one actually reaches out to those people. Your mom will say she has a connection with this person that could help you with what you're passionate about. And you never follow up with your mom on that. Your aunt has this person who can do X, Y, and Z, and you don't follow up with them. And follow up. If you really become a maniac about following up, that's where all the fortune lies. So 